does God forgive you? I mean, like, does he really forgive you? Because you, you know what you've done, and you're pretty sure he knows what you've done. So is he, is he really going to overlook that? Is he really going to let that go? Is he really going to forgive you? Uh, and I, I don't mean like the, uh, the kind of way sometimes we forgive each other where we just say, ah, it's okay, no, no big deal. But you know it's, it's not okay. It, it is a big deal because you might say those words. You might say, ah, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it. But the reality is you're holding it over that person still. You're still thinking about it. You're like, yeah, I'll, I'll say the right things, but I'm, I'm still pretty mad at you. And, you know, does God, can God really forgive us? Can he really not continue to hold what we've done over our heads? Can he really do that? And if you followed Jesus for even a short amount of time, I'm sure you'd, you'd say, well, absolutely, of course God does that. Yeah, totally. But it's one thing to know that in your head, and it's another thing to believe that in your heart. Because you might be able to say that, you might be able to answer the question correctly on the quiz, but you still feel a little bit of shame, you still feel some guilt, you still kind of act like God really hasn't forgiven you. Like you're a little nervous, you're a little unsure of yourself. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to walk between our head and our heart a few times, and we're going to try to strengthen and deepen that connection between what we think and what we believe in our hearts, the knowledge we have and the way that we, we live it out. And we're going to do that with the next scene in our story of the prophet Jonah. We're going to kind of look at this next scene from a few different vantage points to take a look at from forgiveness from a few different spots throughout the story. So if you want to turn to Jonah chapter 3, that's where we're going to be today, Jonah chapter 3. And here's, here's kind of what happens next. So if you remember last week, Jonah, he fleed from the presence of the Lord. He wanted to get as far away from possible as, as he could from his calling to go to Nineveh. And he ends up on a boat. God sends a storm. And the sailors on that boat are like, what should we do? And Jonah tells them, well, you got to throw me overboard. So they, they throw Jonah overboard. And at that moment, the storm stops and a giant fish of some kind comes up and swallows Jonah whole. And then swims around with him in his belly for three days. Jonah prays. Jonah tries to repent. He has some humility about the situation. And then the whale spits him up. All right. So in Jonah chapter 3, Jonah has just freshly been vomited up by a fish. He's sitting on the coast. Probably smells awful, probably feels kind of weird. Uh, and then this is, this is what happens. So Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, 
Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So in this story, we see first off that it begins with God comes to Jonah a second time. And he says almost the exact identical message. Jonah, you're going to go to Nineveh, and you're going to preach the message that I have given you. And if you remember from chapter 1, the reason he needs to go to Nineveh is because uh, the story tells us that Nineveh is so evil, so wicked, that their sins have, have risen up to God. It's just like the file folder on God's desk of Nineveh is giant. It's just too big to ignore anymore. It's like, all right, we got to do something about that city. And so for the second time, he comes and says, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. So when we look at this story, our first viewpoint of forgiveness is that God forgives us by providing a second chance. Not rocket science, pretty basic. God forgives us by providing us a second chance. And Jonah in this story, he goes on as much of a spiritual journey as he does a physical journey. Because if you go back to chapter 1 and a couple different times, it says Jonah, he went down to the city of Joppa, so he'd get on the boat. And then it says he went down into the boat. Now, your Bible might translate that phrase a little differently, but it's the same Hebrew word. He went down to Joppa. He went down into this boat. And the idea being Jonah is spiritually moving down. He's moving away from God. So he goes to Joppa. He gets on this boat. There's a storm. God has to have an intervention and interrupt what he's doing. And then he ends up back on dry land. But we got, we got to think a little bit like, uh, like those who live in the Middle East, especially during this time. In the ancient world, in the Middle East, water is not just water. The sea is not just sea. It represents the place of evil and chaos. And so if you're out in the ocean and there's a storm coming, it's, it's divine. There's evil. There's chaos there. And that's part of why the sailors are amazed that Jonah's God can send the storm and then immediately quiet the waters. Because you, you've got to be pretty powerful to control, to bring order into chaos. And so Jonah spiritually is in a place of darkness and evil and chaos because he's in the middle of the ocean. And then God brings him back to dry land. And dry land is, well, now you're back into to a place of order, Jonah. God has brought you from your chaotic life, and he's brought you back to dry land, and now you get a choice. Jonah, you want to try this again? Would you, would, you, would you like to go to Nineveh this time? And the story just goes, and Jonah obeyed. So this time he does it, and he heads off, off to Nineveh. So God does the same thing for us. He gives us that second chance. He brings us to dry land and says, okay, Let's try this again. And he gives us, a lot of times he gives us the exact same command a second time. It's just, all right, here's what I asked you to do. Let's try this one more time. Let's see how this goes. Sometimes God, when he gives us that second chance, he doesn't make it easier. He doesn't lower the bar. He just simply says, all right, 
here it is. Can you do this? Now, what's interesting, I kind of was messing around on a map uh, this week because we have no idea where this whale spit Jonah up. We just don't know. So it's like, okay, based on whatever their boat path was and however long three days are for this fish to, to swim back to land, and I kind of just took where we think Nineveh was, and I just kept plotting little points along the coast there around Israel, and, and it was funny because most of the places around the coast there, if Jonah would have just left from, left from Joppa, he's got around a 550-mile walk. And if you start plotting points along the coast to get to Nineveh, it's around 550 miles. So I don't know exactly, but I kind of wonder if Jonah had to walk the same distance from where this whale spit him up. It's almost like complete do-over. Same distance to travel. God's not even going to, you know, drop you off somewhere further away. It's like, all right, let's just, everything's the same. Let's just try it again. So Jonah obeys this time. He walks to Nineveh. He speaks God's message, which is 40 more days, and then this city will be overthrown. So, you know, as we kind of move our way around to another viewpoint, we also see that God's forgiveness comes with clear expectations. It comes with clear expectations. And in Nineveh's case, it's 40 days. You've got 40 days, and then I'm destroying the city. It's very clear. And 40 is a number used all throughout the Bible, typically for testing and judgment. You know, here's just a few of those places. So Noah was on the ark for 40 days. Israel wandered the desert for 40 years. Elijah was on the run from Queen Jezebel for 40 days. Jesus spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness, and after the resurrection of Jesus, he appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. And that period of 40, if you let those 40 days or 40 years, if you let them do their job, then you will be able to, on the other side of that, walk into new life. It's about testing your life to figure out, what is your life really made of? Do you really have what it takes Are you really accepting what God's going to do? What is your life made up of? Or is your life full of of lies, full of hypocrisy, full of shallowness? What's it look like? So you go through those days. After 40 days, Noah is able to get off the ark, and there's new creation. Israel, during those 40 years, they learned a lot about trusting God, which they needed to go into the promised land. Elijah's head was cleared over those 40 days from the illusion of Queen Jezebel's control and reach. Jesus proved that his motivation was simply to serve God. Satan gave every illusion, you can have power, you can have food, you can do this, you can do that. And Jesus said, nope, I'm here to do whatever God asks me to do. Because Satan wants to say, you can be a king without the cross. And Jesus says, nope, that's the plan. I need to be a king with a cross. That's how this works. And the disciples learned the new reality of Jesus' resurrected kingdom over those 40 days of him appearing and instilling hope to them. And so God gives these clear expectations to Nineveh of 40 days. However, this language is actually not language of fear, but language of hope. Because it's really easy when the Bible starts to talk about judgment to get really scared, like, oh boy, God's angry destruction's coming, that just kind of makes you feel scared. But in fact, it's actually the language of hope. The language the Bible gives us of how the world's going to end is a language of hope, because look at what the king of Nineveh said. He uses the language of hope, not fear. He says at the end of his decree, 
Who knows? The language of hope. Who knows? Maybe God will relent. Maybe he'll, he'll turn away from his anger. Maybe he won't destroy us. That's the language of hope. Hope that God will do something differently than what he has said. Hope that there really can be peace. And so they had that clarity of, hey, 40 days. And so in our case, the message that kind of the New Testament leaves us with is, Jesus is going to come back. And that day gets painted in two different pictures. It's either this incredible day or it's this really scary, terrifying day where, you know, Revelation says for some people it's a day of celebration, and for others they're begging to run and hide in the caves and for God to ignore them and leave them alone. But the difference of that is it's, it's you're afraid if you don't have God and you're hopeful if you have God. Because if you have God, you know this is the day we've been waiting for. This is a day of victory. This is a day of celebration. Jesus has finally come back. He's going to make everything new. He's going to set every wrong right. He's going to restore everything that's been broken. And if you don't have Jesus, you're going to get caught red-handed. And you're not going to have any way to defend yourself when God judges the world. And the, the first Christians, when they talked about this day, they had no idea when it was going to happen. Because even Jesus said, he doesn't even know when it's going to happen. It's like, only the Father knows when this day is going to happen. So why people keep trying to guess it and use math equations to figure it out, I have no idea. But the first Christians, when they spoke about that time, even though they had no clue when it was going to happen, they used language, they called it that day, and they said the last days. But the early Christians knew, we've been in the last days since Jesus rose from the grave. And they were just waiting. They thought it would be pretty quick, like maybe a few weeks, maybe a few hours. But they spoke about this day, even though they had no idea what the timeline was, they spoke about it with such urgency that they called it the last days and the day and that day. Because it could be tomorrow, you never know. But that was not an urgency out of fear, but an urgency out of hope. A hope that Jesus really can forgive you. Jesus really can change your entire life. And so, yes, this urgent thing is coming, but God has clearly told us what to do to get ready. That's not much of a mystery in your Bible. That's not something we debate like, oh, what do you do? It was pretty clear, just right there. Jesus taught and his disciples taught in the book of Acts that, well, what do you do? Well, you, you confess your sins, you repent, you get baptized, and you begin to obey and live a life in relationship to Jesus. You do all these things because you believe in Jesus, you believe in the hope that he has, and suddenly that day, it's not a day of fear anymore, it's a day of of hope, and it changes. Now, the way that Jonah communicates this message to Nineveh is in the city. He has to go through the city. He doesn't stand outside the city and, like, yell over the wall. He doesn't just, you know, uh, have, a, like, a mailing campaign. No, he goes into the city, into the streets. And that's why it says it, it took him three days. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that it doesn't say, now Nineveh was however many square miles big. Or it just says, no, it, it took him three days. Three days of what? Three days of walking through one of the most sinful, dangerous cities of his day. Three days of walking from shop to shop, walking down the street and probably hearing a crime being committed in the alleyway, hearing how people talk to each other, hearing them maybe say some very uh, inappropriate, unkind things to him and each other. He just, he just had to deal with it. And for three days, he's kind of have to, he has to step into that world and give God's message. 
So for three days, he goes to the stores, he goes to the markets, he has to go door to door, he stands in the marketplaces and says this message, and he's got to be in the streets. He's got to be in the middle of it all. And so as we, as we continue to look around forgiveness, we also learn that God's forgiveness comes to us where we are. It comes to us where we are. God does not yell at a distance. He comes right into the middle of whatever it is we're facing. He is very present in our situation. Now, some of you, some of you, you love Campbellsville or, or you know, this kind of area, wherever you live around here, and you, you love this area, whether it's here or it's Greensburg or wherever, and you're not, you have no thought of your mind of ever moving away or leaving this place. You're like, this place is wonderful. I love it. Some of you, maybe not so much. Maybe like, you know, kind of wouldn't mind living in a bigger city. You know, may, maybe if it works out, maybe if we get a job, maybe I'll move someday or, you know, maybe when the kids grow up, we'll relocate or, or whatever. Uh, or maybe you're, you know, you're here for college and you're here right now, but you're not really planning to stay here. You're like, as soon as I'm done with school, I'm going back home or I would love to live in a bigger city or I, you know, I have dreams of living in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains or I'd love to live close enough to drive to the ocean every day. But the reality is, we can't separate the place we are from the ministry God has for us. Because the place allows you to do what you're able to do. Because it's so easy to think, well, maybe if I just had some better neighbors. Or, well, maybe, maybe if I lived closer to the ocean, I'd be a little less stressed out. Or maybe if I lived by the mountains, or maybe if we lived in this kind of house, or that kind of house, or... And, or maybe if I just worked differently, if my coworkers were different, my life would be better. And that doesn't mean you can't try to make things better, but the reality is where you are is where you are. And so can you be faithful with the place that you are? Because Jonah has to go through the streets of Nineveh, which are probably not great, probably dangerous, probably very uncomfortable. Jonah's probably got to see some things that, that a Hebrew is not supposed to see. And that's what he has to deal with. Because forgiveness doesn't happen in hypotheticals. Forgiveness is not a, well, maybe, what if? No, forgiveness is real. Forgiveness moves into the, the, the house next door to you. Forgiveness is exactly where you are. And so how can you take the forgiveness that God has given you and live that out in the place where you are? Because it's really tempting to just think, well, someday... Someday, when, when we get the house paid off, when the kids grow up and move out, when we you know, get a little bigger house, when we you know, get that next job, when we live here, when we, then, we'll, then we'll do that thing, God. But forgiveness is not, well, someday. Forgiveness is right here, right now. Forgiveness is, well, how do we use the house we do have? How do we use the money we do have? How do I use the age that I'm currently at? How do we use the life situation we're currently in? It's not always about, well, maybe someday. It's about, well, today. Because forgiveness comes to us right where we are, and it happens in the, the same challenges that we all have in the city we live, in the neighborhoods we live at. And so how do you live out forgiveness right where you are? So I want you to watch this video of one man's story. His name's Tony Cash. So I just want you to watch this video and hear about his life of forgiveness.
Well, the devil got a hold of me at an early age. At the early age of five, I smoked my first cigarette. At the age of seven, I smoked my first marijuana joint. Between ages seven and 11, I embarked on a life of crime, of vandalism, stealing. By the age of 11, I picked up a gun and began robbing stores. And between the ages of 11 to age 49, I spent 36 years of my life incarcerated. 20 of those years, I lived in solitary confinement. I was so bound by hatred and things that was instilled into my heart. I was always seeking peace and seeking freedom, but I couldn't get it. You know, I was just filled with this rage and hate. And then the Lord entered my life. Some years of, of battling and not growing spiritually and falling away. I didn't know how to be set free. I was crying out, but I wasn't receiving or feeling anything. And long story short, I landed back in jail. I had an altercation with a guard coming in the door as well. In this very moment, the devil just overwhelmed me. So I took this mop bucket in the shower and I was going to fake a seizure when the guard came in. I was going to take his life. And in the middle of trying to break that mop bucket apart, something came over me. And I looked up. And there, was a, there was a light in the shower. And I looked right at that light. I just knew that God was looking down on me. And he was, he was just shaking his head. And I said, then do something because I can't. I knew I couldn't stop myself. And right then, somebody out in the cell said, who wants this Bible? And God right then, just as clear as I'm talking now, said, come to me. And I did an about face, went right out that door and snatched that Bible by that guy's hand. Before he even lowered his arm, I, I was out that door and snatched that Bible. I'd like to say that that changed me. And I can tell you a happily ever after story. It did change me, but I fell many times after that. I had to renew my mind. I had to put on the mind of Christ. It was my job to do that. Freedom came when I began seeking God with all my heart and applying and being obedient to what he was teaching. I used to train men how to hurt. I used to train men how to take lives. Today, I train men and women how to save lives. God turned me upside down, took and gave me a complete opposite of what my life was. What Jesus teaches is the opposite of what we know. Love your enemies. <laughs> that don't make sense to us. Turn the other cheek. Don't make sense to us. Have mercy on someone that's, that's doing you wrong. This makes sense. But when I realized that it was the one thing that was the truth. I began to feed on it like, I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. Today I wouldn't be sitting here now if he didn't calm the storm and give me a peace that surpasses all understanding. Through Christ and only through Christ can we be set free. So Tony takes God's forgiveness right back to where he had been. He takes the message of freedom in Christ right back into the very prisons that once held him. And that's what it looks like. That's one way of what it looks like to take forgiveness into the city. So the place where you are, 
you don't get to change, always say, well, well, God, can we just change all the circumstances? It's, it's no, this is, this is where you are. That's, this is where I need you to go. So I want you to pray and think about what it would look like for you to share that forgiveness that God has given you with the people and the places that you already are. And not to just keep thinking, well, maybe someday if we, we do this, we do that, then, then we'll get to it. Now, what, what can you do already? What can you do today? Consider what you could do on the basketball court or the baseball field, at the park, in your home, at your school. What would that look like? One thing that's pretty incredible to me in this story is just verse 5. After Jonah gives this whole message, it just says, the Ninevites believed God. That's it. It's just the Ninevites believed God. No arguments, no skepticism, no cynicism, no, well, Jonah, what about this? What about, what about, what about? They just believed God, and they just did what needed to be done. They repented, they fasted, they wore sackcloth, the typical thing, and they just repented and fasted as if, well, maybe God, just maybe, who knows, maybe he won't destroy us in 40 days. Maybe we'll be all right. So I just want to ask you, do you believe God? Do you believe him? I, I know you have your doubts. I do too. There are moments where you just wonder, God, why didn't he answer that? God, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? What's going on? Because sometimes our circumstances, it's like, well, God's not answering the prayers the way that I wanted. Why do I still feel guilty? Why do I still feel ashamed? God, are you really there? Are you really working? Why is it taking so long? But I want you to consider that that's why it takes faith to believe in God. It takes faith because we don't have all of the answers. We don't, we don't have all the information. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We don't see everything about the world we live in. And yes, we continue to try to learn as much as we can and answer as many questions and leave nothing unturned. But the reality is we, we still don't know everything. We don't understand why everything works the way it works. And if you would just consider for just a moment, even if you don't believe in Jesus, if you consider if Jesus is real and God is who he says he is, he doesn't have to tell us everything. He's God. He doesn't, he's, there's no reason he needs to tell us anything at all. But yet... He told us enough. He told us about who he is and what he's like so that we, we know enough about how to follow him and how to have a relationship with him. And so there's still some things we just don't understand. But like the Ninevites, can you just believe God? All right, this, this is what he's given us. This is what he's told us. Is that going to be enough? Is that enough to take that leap of faith over to the other side? Because I can tell you, I, I've taken that leap, and I've found ground, the ground's very solid on the other side. But I can't, I can't pull you over there. I can't push you. you you've got to walk up to the edge and decide, are you going to jump to that other side? Do you believe enough? Because you're never going to have every answer to every question. But do you believe enough to know, okay, God cares about me. God sees me. He forgives me. He sent Jesus to die for me and establish his kingdom, and I I can, I can get to that other side. 
And who knows? Who knows? Who knows what God will do or can do? And so God forgives you by, he gives you a second chance. God shows us his forgiveness by providing clear expectations. He tells us, hey, here's what you got to do. And he also forgives you by bringing his message right to where you are. He sent Jesus to you. He didn't say, well, we'll come over here and maybe then we'll talk. He said, no, I'm coming to you. And so our job is to say, all right, God, you're talking, I'm going to listen. If you're walking towards me, I'm going to respond to you. And so I don't want you to just know God has forgiven you. I don't want you to just have the answers to the question. I want you to believe it. I want you to not continue to feel shame and guilt and anxiety about, has God really forgiven me? Can he really let that go? Is he, just, is he not answering my prayer because I did that thing and this is punishment? He's forgiven you. It's done. You just have to decide if you believe him or not. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for your presence and your death on the cross and your forgiveness of us. And I'm so thankful that the story isn't over, that you are alive and you're still moving and you're still working and you're seated on your throne in heaven and you've already claimed a victory. And for us, Father, we just, we're still kind of, we're waiting. We're waiting to see it finally all happen. We're stuck in the tension between what you've already done and what you will still do in the future. And so, Jesus, in this tension, in this in-between we live, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help to empower us and equip us and encourage us to live out your mission here on earth, to be able to proclaim that message of forgiveness in the places where we live. I ask that you would give us the words when we need them, that you would help us to see the opportunities that are in front of us so that we can go to those who really need to hear about you. And Father, help us to believe you. Help us to wrestle with our doubts and trust you. Trust that you've, you've told us enough, you've done enough, you gave us enough stories so that we can be confident in what we hope for. It's all this I pray in your name. Amen.